Thank you for joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. What is up, Samir? Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? You know what? School's almost out. I'm ready for the summer. And you know what's funny? I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I don't have my summer plans figured out yet. And then I'm wondering, is that... uh, is that due to the fact that I've been lazy or the fact that, uh, you know, the pandemic has caused me to not really make plans out two to three make months? Make elaborate plans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, now it's everything is impromptu, just like those podcasts. Like we we yeah. pick, a, pick a location, book a ticket, and just off you go. We, we just do this. <laughs> and, you know, we've been doing this now since 2015. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, my gosh, we've been doing this 2015. And we look better now. I think nobody can see us, but just... <laughs> All my gray hair shining yeah, through. <laughs> all, all the gray hair shining through. So speaking of of good looking men, you know, we're, we have uh, a great uh, podcast guest today. So it's Christian Patel. Does I get that name correct, Christian? Yeah, you got it right. I think you're one of the few to get it correct the first time. Fantastic. Thank you. So today's title is Crush Your Sales with Prospecting Intelligence with Christian Patel. So I'm going to brag about Christian first. He is the VP of Product. Uh, for his company. So Christian is a proven SaaS industry veteran. He began his career as an enterprise sales development representative at Oracle, then joined Apollo in 2017. After realizing the company's software platform effectively solved many of the problems he had encountered in his prior role, uh, he would he would uh, love to talk with you about Apollo's transition and all these great things. And he's going to talk to us about how sales-driven companies and organizations are focused on product-led growth. He's going to talk to us today about his experience, about the necessary steps required for that transition, talking about reorganization of teams, infrastructure, uh, rebuilding growth models, data approach, everything. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, how do you pack that all into your brain? Yeah, there's a lot to cover. I think there's, I probably listened to hundreds of hours of podcasts to try to figure out how to do this. So let's start off real fast. Let, let's let's talk about your journey, and then um, we'll pass it over to Samir after that. But let, you've had this really great career. Let's talk about your journey. Let's start at the beginning. You know, did you work at like a Dairy Queen or a bank, <laughs> or you know, some people work like folding towels in a hotel or something like that? And you know, how did you get from there to here? Yeah, definitely. So actually, early on, like if you're talking about high school and college, I actually always worked in education. So like mm. with tutoring or working at like after school programs and things of that nature. And I realized I actually really, really love it. Um, it's something I'd love to go back to someday is education, because I feel like, you know, educators in my life have really shaped who I've become and shaped my my ability to believe in myself. Um, that said, I live in San Francisco. And living in San Francisco is not easy as an educator. So yeah. coming out of college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I was like, I need to make money. Tech is a big thing. You know, how do I break into tech? And sales is usually one of the easiest entry points into tech. Yeah. So honestly, that's that's where I started. Um, you know, from there, I guess, yeah, Oracle was, Oracle, they hire 150 to 200 
you know, sales development representatives every single year, especially from like top schools. So BDRs, right? Basically. Yeah. They, they call them yeah. BDRs or, or I think over there, BDCs, like business development consultants. So I was like, yeah. Oh, cool. Like, I'm going to be a little consultant. Businesses are going to talk to me. Little did I know I joined the company. I start cold calling, cold emailing about this is, this is not what I realized it would be, but you know, it was an experience. Um, so yeah, no, at Oracle, you know, I realized I was a really hungry person. Like I really wanted to get out of college, be able to push myself, grow as a person. But the problem with a company like Oracle is that it's really bureaucratic, right? You have hundreds yeah. of thousands of employees. So if you have ideas on like how you can improve the sales order, things of that nature, they're like, hey, stop, wait uh, for 1.5 years in this role. <laughs> you know, then you go to the next role for another two years and so on. And you know, maybe five to 10 years down your career, you can start making real impact once you- Well, you're talking to two ex-IBMers here, so- Oh, <laughs> y'all know exactly what I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're at Oracle, and then what happened? What made you move out of Oracle? Yeah, so Oracle, I did extremely well. Like, actually, you know, was top performer on my team, like, every single quarter, um, even though I took, like, an hour-long gym break or something or, or stuff like that. So it was, it was a relatively chill mm -hmm. job. Um, but I realized that like, I really wanted something more, but like, I wasn't growing as a person, especially like my partners in med school. And I felt like, you know, I see what she's doing. She's doing amazing things. I'm like, I feel like I'm a little bit limited, you know, by Oracle. So, um, one day I just responded to a recruiter. I think the recruiter sent an email. It was like, hello, you know, can you hear me? You know, the Adele song, like, hello, she like referenced that. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, that's kind of funny. So yeah, I'll talk yeah. to her. Um, she gave me a list of like 20 companies and I researched them all and Apollo definitely came to the very top. I was like, this, this company, yeah. if we use them at Oracle, we would be setting five times as many meetings as we were today. And I feel like I could sell this in my sleep. So I, you know, joined the interview process or anything. The one thing I really loved about the founders is that they wanted to bring in people that would be builders. They weren't looking for someone mm -hmm. that's just another coin operator sales rep. They were looking for people that wanted to be ambitious in their careers. And they're really happy to reward that if you're able to do well. So it seemed like a great fit for what I was working for uh, or what I was looking for. And I guess, you know, they like me, I like them. I joined um, and I guess the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. And, and just before I move this over to Samir, was there any catalyst person that was a good catalyst or a bad catalyst? in oh, that yeah. transition from role to role. You know? Yeah. I think, uh, so at Oracle, I really, really loved my first manager. I had this amazing guy. Um, I, you know, wanted to continue working with him. Um, and then I got switched to another team that was like, you know, the higher value team at Oracle, which is great. But um, honestly, I'm not going to say any names, but like no, that no. manager just was, uh, you know, maybe seem to have a little bit of a power trip sometimes, you know, maybe didn't always completely know what he was talking about, but was still like trying to run the team in a very top down way. It's just, just really bad vibes. Like not someone I felt like I could learn and grow some, grow from, not someone I felt like I even wanted to really help. Uh, I was like, okay, that's, that's enough of this. I don't want to be part of this culture where, you know, you're, you're going to get promoted based on politics plus a little bit of your own success, but not yeah. really based on you being a good person that role. And um, I think that's what happened with him. So uh, yeah, I was like, it's, it's definitely time to start. Like I can't keep working with this guy. Nice. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, switching gears to so talk about your company. What does Apollo do? What do you guys do? Yeah. Tell us our audience and explain like, you know, what exactly 
and what kind of services he offer. Uh, so let's dive into that. Yeah, and if, if there's an acronym, if you could spell out the acronym, because we love acronym bingo here, you know. Oh, man, I, I wish I had an acronym for you. Uh, <laughs> if I do, I'll figure one out and bring it in later. But, yeah. uh, you know, just really what Apollo is, that we're the leading B2B sales intelligence and engagement platform. So we have around 1, 1 million plus users at over 160,000 companies. And that goes from, you know, really fast growing startups to some of the world's largest enterprises. And, you know, in that one platform, we provide sales teams with, you know, really easy access to a database of over 220 million contacts, 30 million companies, and an intelligence layer to figure out who are their best potential customers and all the tools that they need to engage those people and turn them into buyers. So long story short, you know, we help B2B sales teams turn prospects into customers by empowering those salespeople to find the right people to reach out to and send them the right message at the right time. Got you. And uh, so I've used, uh, and you know, Jeremy has also in different shape or form, I've used DataFox personally. Uh, that was, uh, went into the acquisition. I've used Mintigo. Uh, so I've used a similar platforms. What, why is Apollo different? Like what's so different about Apollo compared to like these companies like DataFox, Mintigo or similar uh, B2B uh, contact management or uh, you know, even outreach.io, that's one of the uh, uh, companies that I've used for managing my outbound sales processes. And it seems like Apollo is kind of a combination of some of these. So can you go into detail? Like, why is it different? Yeah, honestly, there's so many things I could say here. So I'll try to be brief, but essentially like imagine yourself as a startup founder. If you want to start building your outbound, you know, go-to-market process, um, you lack a few things. You lack time, you lack experience, you lack you know, resources sometimes, depending on how much funding you have. So it's really tough to go to DataFox and ZoomInfo, go to an outreach or sales loft, um, you know, go to an Insight Squared and start talking to a bunch of different vendors that want you to pay you know, 10 to $30,000 in annual contract, stitch them all together, figure out how to learn all those tools, get them talking to each other in some way, just to start figuring out if you can build a strategy when you don't even know if your you know business is successful or like you know if you have a viable product yet. So you know what Apollo's trying to do is instead of being like the other people that are always trying to figure out like how do we get money from those top one percent of companies, we're trying to help that underserved market that doesn't really have any great options there. We're trying to provide something that's a turnkey solution where someone can you know set up from our website in minutes. Um, you know, they can start finding the data for the people they want to reach out to immediately. They can start building the cadences that they, you know, to actually help reach out to them immediately. We have integrated analytics that show beyond what typical providers would say. So if this analytics today, um, y'all might know that like in outreach or sales lot, you can see like, hey, here's how many, you know, opens or replies or meetings my reps yep. are booking. With Apollo, we merge our database with our analytics data to say, hey, in your overall targeting messaging strategy, your messaging is performing extremely well with SMB companies and you know, tech in this area. And it's extremely, extremely poor in this other area. And you also have these certain reps in your teams that are performing well in one place and you know, not as well in the other. So we've really tried to build our business from serving those people who are trying to figure out the right strategy for their go-to-market from the very beginning and making it so that if they start their business on Apollo, we learn more and more from them through both their prospecting and through their messaging to provide really unique and valuable insights in our analytics and recommendations later that will help them become better, better in guiding their actual strategy. Well, let's speak to that analytics part. So, I mean, typically you have your dashboards, 
Um, you have your typical set of KPIs, right? Three to five KPIs that you look at. Um, a lot of that can be pushed out to a Power BI or Tableau and, you know, to combine into other stuff. You know, you have your anomaly stuff, you know, everything. So what type of analytics do you actually provide to a sales organization? Like, well, what are the key things that are most powerful or most useful for a sales org? Yeah, so for a sales organization, and then one, one thing to also note is that, you know, when you're talking about Power BI, Looker, things of that nature, usually you have data teams, you have like a lot of resources to actually mm -hmm. set those things up in the first place. And those are really expensive platforms to start. Yeah. Using, right? yeah. So, um, you know, I think that as companies mature, they should start using those tools and you can port Apollo data into those tools as well. But before <laughs> that, the type of data that you'll get from Apollo itself is, you know, first of all, your activity level data. How many emails and calls are you making? Was the success of those opens, replies, meeting rates, call connect rates? Um, second of all, how about your sales cycle data? So how many, you know, how much pipeline are you generating? What's your win rate? What's your sales cycle length? What's your ACV? How much revenue is actually being generated? And then you can dissect that by any demographic information, such as the personas people are in, the company yep. size they're in, the industries that they're in, the technologies that they use, nice. and by, you know, rep information, so user level information, like who from your team is performing these activities or running these deals and so on. Um, so I think that's kind of the the dissection piece is what's missing from a lot of the other you know platforms out there. Is that does that also kind of follow an attribution model too that you can put alongside it and be able to attribute? Does it go into that customer journey also with marketing journey with attribution, or is it purely just kind of the the data? No, we we mostly play on the on the sales side. So if you do have marketing attribution data in your CRM, we'll pull that in. You can report mm -hmm. on that within Apollo. Mm -hmm. But you know, we're not integrating directly with your like you know with your Facebook business manager or your Google Analytics. Okay. That nature to pull it. So this is really sales friendly type of data where sales is not going to look at it and start wondering, you know, or why are we using a J curve <laughs> or an inverse J or linear or something like that. Okay. Yeah, that's the big. I think sales. We one thing we definitely know after you know working with salespeople for like six years is that they're not the most technical people, but they're really coin operators. So they are really good at building yes. repeatable processes. But you know, you got to help them. You know, figure out where some of the gaps are. Hundred percent. Cool. That's great. So speaking of sales, now that we have started topic, uh, started a topic. Um, so from my career, like you know, I'm I'm really old. I started my technology career uh, right out of the college uh, in 2001 in Wipro Infotech, and then slowly I kind of migrated my career to sales and marketing technology. And since 2005-ish, uh, in different roles and working with sales organizations in different companies, big and small, what I've noticed is, yeah, I mean, we have moved from picking up the phone and calling people to now leveraging LinkedIn emails and then emails um, and reaching out to people through email and trying to get them the phone eventually so we can talk to them and close the deal. Where do you see uh, as a next step in this uh, sales process? Like, you know, it's still, e it's still about emails, sending them emails, getting people interested and engaging them. Uh, how do you see the future of technology and maybe like Apollo uh, kind of what's missing and what is going to be the next phase of technology to fill in this gap so the sales teams truly transform themselves from being a person that's emailing other person and trying to annoy them and pick up the uh -huh. phone and talk to them to eventually doing something different. Yeah, definitely. So um, so I think that there's a few areas that this goes into. So one is just generally the channel strategy. So there's so many people sending emails now, so many people making calls now, like, you know, 
you're, people are getting inundated and not even reading half their emails anymore because no, no, but, yeah. Um, spam, so, spam, spam, spam. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like one, like through those channels, can you improve your conversion rates at all? And how do you do so? And two is how do you start using other channels? So I think first talking about the channels that already exist, like email calls, I think more than ever today, the necessary of like, it's become necessary to have deep research and data platforms rather than just surface level contact information. So going back to your point about like a data fox or lead IQ or some of those competitors in the space, a lot of those companies will be able to provide you with like, hey, here is a person you want to reach out to. Here's their email address. Here's a phone number, like email and call them. What we've done with our both data platform and you know, our messaging platform is to be able to say, hey, this is a company that has some interesting piece of news, like they have some new product offering going out, they're hiring for a marketing operations person, but they have a really small marketing team right now. You know, They're using these specific technologies like Marketo or Eloqua or whatever it is right now. Um, and it seems like they just raised a recent amount of funding um, and, and so on. So you can start getting all these much more granular insights. And based on those insights, you can say, for every additional piece of data that I have on this record, change my email slightly and change that subject line slightly to be more relevant. So if I were to reach out to you and said like, you know, hey, like I, um, you know, Jeremy, I want to, you know, talk to you because I think I have some great opportunities for your podcast. You're probably like, I get a million these day. I don't care at all. But if I said like, you know, hey, Jeremy, I just heard about your most recent you know, podcast recording and found this one interesting insight from there. And I noticed that you're hiring for a marketing manager right now and you only have one other person on the marketing team. Um, you know, I've helped this other podcast do similar, you know, solve problems when they're in the same situation. Um, that's one thing that you can start to do to cut across some of the noise in the channels that already exist, like email and phone. Interesting. But that alone is not enough. Like you still need to figure out like, how do you integrate other channels? Like advertising, sending physical gifts in person to you know, create that extra touch with people, meeting people in person through conferences and so on to, to actually improve your ability to connect with your buyers. Um, and I think that one of the biggest things that we'll start to see in the future is people starting to move away from using humans to connect with humans and moving towards using products to connect with humans. Uh, I think that's what like product-led growth is kind of you know, starting to, to show us. Is this really, is this more of a, like a real-time customer data platform that you're using that's, I mean, because it, it seems like it's all real-time and not basically a, like batch that's back into your algorithm that really kind of feeds back into the next action. But I'm guessing this is more real-time, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, at least with Apollo, um, you know, our goal is to be constantly learning from you from mm -hmm. every person you prospect, every message you send, any deal you close, and feed you better insights based on what we've learned has been successful for you and what hasn't been. Successful. Machine learning elements, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, cool. All right. So let's move over to like the future of selling, right? So if you think about it, is Apollo, there's a two-part question, but is Apollo leading the way of transforming the way that salespeople should be selling based on data, data-driven sales rather than gut feel? Or do you feel like sales is organically changing and it's forcing Apollo to have to change how you service salespeople? Yeah, so I think for us, we're trying to do something that is still not common to space, which is oh. transforming to the data-driven sale. Um, I think you're starting to see some companies do this a lot more, especially the ones with like a product-led sales motion. 
Um, but you know, still so many sales reps are taking a very manual approach of like finding a contact, sending them a generic email campaign. Then they're like, Hey, how come nobody's reaching back out to me? Because like, boring. Because yeah, boring. exactly. <laughs> there must be something wrong here. Um, so, but it's still kind of difficult because they don't always have those partners that are going to help them build that yeah. experimentation framework that act that they need to actually figure out like how do you overcome every single gap? Like, how do you figure out where conversion rates are low and figure out a strategy for experimentation and improve those, those conversion rates? Um, so that's something that we're definitely trying to do. And I think the biggest differentiator for us in this sense is we're building into the platform where a lot of our you know, competitors, they might rely on like external sales consultants to yeah. like come in there and help those people understand how to build their sales strategy. But for us, it's like, we don't have the luxury of doing that when we have 20,000 customers. A lot of them yeah. pay us $99 a month. Um, so yeah, we're trying to figure out within the platform, how do you proactively guide people, not just how to use the product, but how to build their strategy around using the product to become successful. Like one of our North star metrics is the success of our users, like how many meetings that they set. So in order for them to be successful, we need to be guiding them on not just the, how to use the product, but the, how to build your strategy as well. Interesting. And, and so for really your, you're molding the future of the way selling happens. You're, you're, you're molding the, the, you know, the salespeople of the future, basically. We, we certainly hope so. Cause really there's so many things that salespeople do right now that like humans don't need to do. Um, you know what? You've been trained to do. I, I hate to say it, but your experience as a BDR or BDC or whatever we want to magically call it. I think that's where it actually, where it starts, right? Going and mold the BDR and BDC to be able to sell using data. And you'll use data-driven metrics to be able to outbound and do things the right way rather than good old gut feel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, actually, yeah, no, that, like, that kind of little... helps it because having that background and then moving on to the product role that you are yeah. in, it gave Perfect. you that foundation of the challenges that a typical BDR, BDCs are experiencing today in the market. And yeah. also getting and applying the discipline because the hardest part, honestly, like, Believe it or not, like you know it very well. The hardest part is to apply that discipline for the salespeople, because if they're getting prospects and they're converting the prospects and they're getting comfortable in that zone, then they don't need any platform. Like, hey, I'm really doing good. I'm converting this prospect, and it's you know, hallelujah. Like, we don't have to worry about anything. It was else. just a good quarter. <laughs> exactly, it was a good quarter or or a good a good year or what have you. Yeah. But then once you start learning the techniques and you can see that even though you're doing good, you can really do better. Uh, and having that understanding, it's, it's kind of a powerful transformation for the salesperson. Yeah. I think that's kind of the future of what we're trying to build towards as well is to be able to say like, Hey, you know, you, you prospected some people, you sent some messages, you closed some deals. But what we realized is that you also didn't close some deals and you didn't get good replies yeah. here and here. So here's, you know, 500 people that look like the people that converted the best with this type of messaging. Yeah. We, estimate they just click this button and roll them you'll get this many meetings at you left all this on the table you left all these deals in the table you, you exactly. could have been another 500k <laughs> you know in your pipeline like oh my gosh i left all these on the table because of this one thing you know exactly yes yeah, like they're not going to be digging through all the data but yes. we can do that for them so yeah brilliant i love it okay so samir's going to Really, he loves to ask this like final question, but I'm going to ask one one or two questions before we get to that. Um, so let, let's talk about the future. We're going to put uh, Christian's like future brain on. Where where do you think this is all going? Like how is okay? So sales uh, 2019 and prior, actually before that. Let's move back. 
generations. In the 2000s, sales was all about flying out there, meeting with people, razzle-dazzle, doing your thing, and, you know, having really nice PowerPoints and all this other stuff, right? As you start to move into the 2010s and the 2015s, we actually started to use attribution modeling and sales started to get smart by talking with marketing and saying, hey, marketing, what are you seeing, right? Maybe you should help me out to actually do what I'm about to do, right? And now they've become smarter, right? They understand how to use data. And I think Apollo is perfect for this, you know, being able to train them to be independent, to be able to say, let's use data-driven metrics. What's that next generation? Moving into the next 10 years, where do you see sales going? Like, is it going to be strange and weird or what? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think that the biggest new thing that we're going to see in sales is that, you know, where right now the sales rep is responsible for trying to reach out to people, get them mm-hmm. interested, trying to get them, convince them to buy something. I think in the future, product teams are going to be a little bit more responsible for that. You know, building products that attract people, making it really easy to sign up and get that initial value from, making it you know, compelling to continue to get value from and using sales reps to do the things that only humans can do, which, you know, should be eliminated eventually. Um, and oh, that's not, you know, you'll never be able to fully eliminate the human aspect. No, but no. for example, like any of those deep dive questions that people have or any of those, you know, things that people need just to push them over the edge to convert from where they are today, which is a happy free user, to a paid user is I think what we'll be seeing a lot more of. And in order to do that well, you need data. You need your product data on your platform to say, hey, this user has been, you know, performed all these different events, but not this one yet. Let's get a human in front of their face, like throw a calendar in front of their, you know, screen right now to say, book a meeting with me and I'm going to teach you. What a concept. What a concept. Data-driven methodologies. I mean, we're not talking Skynet here, but, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, what's funny, Samir and I had a, a guest on six months to a year ago, and there's this lady that we spoke to, and they're building out this artificial intelligence that's more like a training data-driven platform that helps people in the stock market. Very cool podcast, right? So I can use that right now. Everybody <laughs> go back and listen to it. Um, yeah. It was so cool that she, and, and, and the most compelling thing that she said of all of all this is that. We're not, we're not trying to change the way people buy stocks by telling them what to do. We're just training them to be better humans, right? To have better human, um, you know, like decision-making, right? To, to, be, to have better decision-making as a person rather than relying on the machine to tell them, buy this stock at this because this is going to go up X. I'm like, no, dude, it's going to completely change, Right. But it was interesting that they're building uh, this technology to help people be better people or people to be more human, to be better stockbrokers, because the more human you are as a stockbroker, the better you're going to be. But they're using data to train them to be more human. Yeah, and follow their fiduciary responsibilities, right? So that's exactly kind of where uh, I I love the way, uh, Christian, you articulated that not trying to completely transform the the process of sales because there's always going to be that human element. But at the same time, how do you use the combination of human and technology to deliver value to the end, end customer consumers that you're working with? Uh, so that's great. So last parting question uh, here, uh, which we always like to ask is, 
What can you tell our listeners that you have never shared in any kind of a public media blog podcast? Something, something that's unique about you or maybe about what you're doing? Yeah, um, interesting. So what can I tell people that I haven't shared publicly? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess this is a little bit, um, you know, maybe a little bit controversial, but um, I think that there's so many, B, like, there's so many B2B businesses that, you know, try to build a point solution that, you know, solves one thing and solves it really well. And I think in the last 20 years, a lot of successful companies, that's what's really gotten them to success. It's like solve one thing, have a core value prop, solve it really well. Um, but I think that that's actually really um, kind of selfish in some ways because you're creating a problem for your buyers. You're making it easier for yourself as a business to solve a problem. You're creating a problem for your buyers, but now you have to connect 10 different tools that don't talk to each other to be able to execute on like, you know, this overall workflow. So I think that what we should start to see, you know, moving forward in the future is the notion of as a Parker Conrad, the CEO Rippling puts it, is like compound startups where, you know, they do multiple things, but your one product that you have in one area makes another one even better because of the seamless workflows and because of the data integrations between them and so on. So that's one thing that I, you know, a public opinion or a private opinion that I have that I guess I'm sharing now is that I really believe that that's a more ethical way <laughs> to build a business as well as I guess maybe one more thing that's while I'm on ethical things here is that Go I think that, you know, when it comes to capitalism, so many companies are trying to say, hey, there's these Fortune 500 companies with a bunch of money. How do I solve a problem with them so they could pay me a million dollars a year? And they artificially price their products so that, <laughs> you know, they're just serving those customers. But I think that we need to start thinking about, you know, who are the people that have great solutions and how do we make, you know, help those people bring their solutions to market? Um, and I think, you know, we need to stop artificially pricing things extremely high, um, you know, just to get every dollar you can out of customers. And we really need to think about the value we're providing for the world with, with the products that we build. Yeah, I think, yeah, Samir, I think you and I can relate to that well. I mean, you and I are both currently, um, you know, investing time and effort into a business that that's trying to look the complete opposite way, right? Rather than going to let's go and try to figure out a product or a solution that makes money off of the top 1% or the top 5% in the world. We're saying, you know what, how can we build something that, that helps everybody else? Right. Right. And then yeah. from yeah. that, you're creating something that's, that that's meaningful. I mean, that's like, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I think absolutely very well said, Jeremy. And also Christian is like, it's today, I mean, you just articulated so well, Christian, in the last 20 years, the evolution of the sales and marketing has always been about coming up with that uh, solution to that one problem and then billing them pretty heavily, right? You know, in, in, in my, uh, one of my organizations, uh, we went through a 1 billion with the B dollar contract uh with the with the vendor and in that contract is so humongous that once you are ingrained with that vendor and technology within the organization it makes it hard and any change requires you to spend a billion dollars uh so i mean you see the you see the scale of this right and just how difficult it becomes that now you cannot even replace that technology and you are vendor locked in for an extended period of time and if you're ready for a chain, then you have to spend that kind of money. So, I mean, I, I love the concept that uh, we all need to start thinking about how do we approach this differently than we have done in the last couple of decades. 
Awesome. Yeah, I think, and, and with the advent of product-led, I think we're, we're in the right direction of really trying to bring value to users rather than just, you know, building. What a concept, bring value to you. And, and the thing is, the funny thing is you say that, but it's such a simple concept, but it's so powerful. And, and if you can just create a business model that says we're creating value to the consumer, it's like, oh, oh my gosh. Right. It's a very simple concept, but very, very, very much forgotten. And yes. Part, right. How do you, how do you do that? Because it's sometimes it gets all about the tools, the technology, uh, kind of the snazziness of the technology and the features, capability. Well, but then at the end of the day, it's all about value. It's value. good old Simon Sinek, right? Start with why. Right. I mean, his rule of the start with why and the golden circle. I hate to say it, but that thing's going to live on for decades. He, he magically came up with something brilliant. So I want to keep using it until somebody says, sorry, dude, this is not cool anymore. You got to stop. <laughs> He's got to stop quoting Simon Sinek. By the way, Simon, if you listening, we would love to have you on the podcast. So the <laughs> <laughs> nice. well, this is very great. cool. Anything yeah. else, uh, Christian, you want to share with us? Any yeah. parting thoughts? Um, just maybe a last thought is that, you sure. know, for anyone out there that is interested in trying to, you know, understand and also just contribute to building the future of sales please do reach out to us whether it's through using the product or just reaching out because like i we want to learn from people like that all the time and we want to build with our users as well so if anyone's listening and it's curious about you know contributing towards that i would love to talk to them i actually have one more question if you don't mind it just popped in my head there's there's thousands of people out there who are BDRs, BDCs, or in that one job that they're just like, eh, this is good. It's doing it for me. What is the one piece of advice you could give them to make that leap? Or should they make that leap? Is there is there a, a tipping point or a catalyst or a trigger or something that says, this happened, now you got to act, do this. If not, stay where you are, don't <laughs> give up a good job because Big names like Oracle, IBM, you know, Adobe and Microsoft, everybody, uh, Google, everybody has these BDR, BDC roles. Mm. And a lot of times people jump ship too quick, right? Because something, when is, according to you, when do you jump ship? Yeah, I think that there, you know, one major thing to look for. So, or two, I guess, within your organization, you know, what do you see people doing? Are they staying in this role for years? Are they able, are they given the opportunities that they want in their careers? Is it flexible? If so, then maybe there's a good opportunity there for you. But if not, then to look elsewhere and find those companies that are going to value you as a human, make sure you bring your full self to those companies. And if you're able to perform extremely well, yeah, and you found that right company, they should help you get to where you want to be in your career. Um, so it's a difficult thing when it comes to hiring, everyone's looking for the resume, like, oh, how much funding does this company have or whatever it is. But really, I think talking to the founders and understanding their values around, you know, employee development and just building their company is more important than anything. And of course, you know, making sure that, you know, the product's actually good enough where it's not going to, you know, the company's not going to be tanking, you know, a few years later. Preach, man. That, that was brilliant. I love it. So cool. This is, this is a great way to close. Um, Thank you, Krishan. This has been fantastic. Is Samir, anything last things to say? No, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we will uh, we would love to bring you again for more due diligence on your future plans for Apollo and the exciting stuff you guys are doing there. Yeah, and I want to see how the, the sales have changed. We're going to bring that back. Next time you come back, we're going to ask you, so what's changed? 
Yeah, yeah. Five years from now, we're going to see, uh, have a whole different conversation. But no, thank you both for having me here. Y'all are both awesome. So really excited to continue listening. Fantastic. And, and thank you again, guys. Um, as you've seen, we have a ton of different guests. We get a new request at least every week for a new um, podcast guest to come on. So please keep those requests coming in. Um, you can find us at analytictodaypodcast.com or just reach out to Samir and I. We are very, very easy to find on social media or on the internet. Um, just so you know, words for thought, if you type in my name, I also have the same name as a D-list actor who is a red shirt on Star Trek who dies early. So, you know, <laughs> we're not the same people, but, you know, we have the same name. <laughs> That's probably the dumbest thing I've said in, our, in like seven years, but I love it. Um, <laughs> I got to get a lot of emails now trying to talk about analytics. Yeah. And Star Trek red shirts, you know, the same name as a Star Trek red shirt guy, right? <laughs> well, this, this has been fantastic. And uh, thank you again. And um, thank you, Smear, again. And Krishan, it's been fantastic. We'll see you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.